It's the Total Sports Quinny Podcast with your hosts, Paul Svoboda, Randy Ewan, and Mike Bond. We cover sports from the Quinty region and beyond. Get ready for the Total Sports Quinty Podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Mike Bond, as always, and on the Total Sports Quinny Podcast, episode seventeen, we got Randy Ewans. What's going on, Randy? Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. You're you not sure you're doing so great. What's going on with that voice? Yeah, we can all talk about. It. Let's intro Bones, and I'll tell you a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> What's going on, Paul? Gentlemen, glad to be back after missing last week's episode. Well, we're glad to have you back. This is, you know, there's definitely something missing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> oh, you bet. And uh, you feeling okay, Randy? Well, you know, here's my long history of uh, problems. And uh, <laughs> we've got, we've got to kill a whole hour with my medical history, but... So when I was, uh, I think I was 17 playing lacrosse in Peterborough, we were on a road trip to, um, to Huntsville and I, we used to wear these old T-bar masks. They look like football masks on our helmets yep. and I had a lacrosse ball come off the crossbar, hit me in the side of the nose and pin it against my cheek. And our Cracker Jack trainer at the time took two pencils and shoved them up my nose and snapped it back in place. And I don't really remember the first, the end of the first period and most of the second. Hope no one's squeamish and, listening to this. And uh, so I came back. I went back and then uh, I had uh, surgery and about, oh, I'd say like two weeks after the surgery was done. And, so, and anyone's had nose surgery, it's horrific. Back then anyways, it's probably better now. Um, my, just joking around with my mom and my mom, punched me and broke it again (laughs) hold on hold on you're just a family jovial thing and your mom punches you in the nose (laughs) yeah yeah just messing around so then (laughs) so then about another like the next season just warming up for lacrosse i got a a, a random ball you know like there's guys throwing balls around no helmet on and a ball hit me in the face again broke it and i just said screw it then i got into a couple of fights where i didn't do so well i got uh, broke it again i got a blocker in the face playing senior a hockey up around the golf area probably deserved uh, that broke one my nose. yeah broke it again <laughs> broke it one more time playing overseas uh early um and then i ended up starting having getting problems with a little bit like sports induced asthma, but I was always susceptible from my broken nose of getting like colds and allergies, and it's just progressively gotten worse over the years. So now I'm sitting here today, pouting, feeling sorry for myself that I've got this <laughs> broken nose. A, I look ugly because of it for the last thirty years, but um, but I can't breathe properly. So now with this stupid COVID. I can't even go to the doctor and bitch and complain about my nose problems. I have to go get a COVID test before I can go see my doctor tomorrow. So I get to have that lovely Q-tip shoved deep into my membrane. That's horrific to watch. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. So anyways, enough (laughs) whining about my, but that's why I sound so nasally today. Wow. (laughs) Good start to the program. Yeah. I don't know if I can top that. Uh, We should just hit the outro and we're done. Yeah, probably would have been. No, I, it, I, they actually did send me to a local no doc. barbers. Yeah. Yeah, it was a local doc. But I remember 
being knocked out and then waking up and then going to the in the uh, in the hospital overnight and and there's a big cast over your nose and it looks like it's about a foot wide and then touching it and there's I'm going okay so what's I'm asking the nurse is that the cast and she goes yeah and then what's that big yellow hard thing in the middle and she goes oh that's your nose and I'm like oh that's awesome <laughs> like, it's horrific. <laughs> And then when they actually took the stuffing out, it was like as if it was coming out of the back of your head when they, because your head, they stuff your nasal passages to keep it all in place. Oh. It was, oh, it was horrible. And that's Man. all. Anyways, yeah, fun, fun, fun. Apparently, it's a lot better. Steve Wilson, who maybe is listening to this podcast, who played a long time in the American League, and his nose was broken so bad so many times, and he actually went and had plastic surgery and now could possibly be a supermodel because of it. So maybe I have the same hope come up. Plus, you don't even in California, yeah? Yeah. I hate to break it to you, though, Randy. (laughs) Steve's a good-looking guy, so it improved his looks. It probably won't help me at all. All um, right. Well, you've managed to get another great guest tonight, so maybe you give us an intro and I'll try and get uh, Marty Savoy in. Yeah, so Marty Savoy is the former player in the OJHL, but he's now the commissioner. So uh, he does a great job with the league. Um, he's kind of like uh, Batman, where everybody sort of gives him the gears, but at the end of the day, you respect for all the work and, and hard work he puts into it. So, yeah, looking forward to talking Marty, to him about State of the game. Hey, Marty. Hey. You got Randy Ewens, Mike Bond, and Paul Svoboda. How are you? I'm doing pretty good tonight. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. Well, thanks for joining us. I, I, we wanted to get you on to our little podcast we, we have. It's called, uh, you know, we, we cover all the sports in Quinny, but we, we obviously pay a, a really close attention to the OJHL, um, the Dukes, and, the, and Trenton Golden Hawks specifically. So um, we just wanted to touch base with you and see both talk about the state of the league and where we're going and then of course everybody has the the raging question of what's happened with hockey this fall and and what's the latest so i guess that's probably the best way to start is you know what are you hearing what's what's happening um in in the world uh with regards to hockey canada and and how we're going forward yeah it's it's interesting a few weeks ago here hockey canada made the decision to um, reopen um, what they call opening of hockey, which allows from a, from a national perspective regionally for the game to reopen. Uh, essentially what that means is that the 13 branches across the country that make up Hockey Canada are now um, allowed to move forward to reopen the game um, as according to their own health regions. And the biggest thing we're all waiting for now is just from a provincial and then a regional and municipality state is that as soon as they start getting into the different phases to allow hockey to come back, um, we'll come back slowly with them as well. So it's encouraging that they've allowed it to do that. It's when the insurance kicks in and, and the regulations and everything that we have to follow. Uh, and now it's just waiting and working with our regionals and the municipalities. We have uh, 11 different regions across the OJHL that we have to pay attention to, and we monitor them every day. Um, and as we get moving forward, hopefully once we get into different phases, we'll really get back to some normalcy with the game. Bones, any questions? Well, I guess, uh, nice talking to you, Marty. Uh, uh, I just have to say, Randy was too modest to say, but we uh, have the two best franchises in the league, of course, in this area, and I know you can't be uh, <laughs> commenting on that. <laughs> we love the league. They're pretty good ones. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good ones. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, one question I think, that, and just me shooting a breeze with, with guys around town that are big hockey nuts and a lot of us that are, former Bulls fans, and we've always, uh, you know, cheered for the Dukes back when they were the Bobcats and the Golden Hawks as well, that great rivalry here. But 
when hockey comes back, specifically at the junior level, we're very curious. Like, do you, is it going to be a different game? Like, I've got some guys saying, ah, it's going to be like shinny and guys are going to be afraid to touch each other and stuff like that. Have you thought about that or has there been any discussion about how that might unfold and how this whole thing might affect the game in the early stages when it comes back? Yeah, we have actually talked about it at great lengths. Um, the one thing that we know is that we, we have athletes at the age right now that missing a full year of their development will, will hurt them a lot. And, and I get that people are saying, well, everybody's going to miss a full year, but that's, you know, that's something we really have to think about. So we want to get them on the ice training first and foremost. And that's what it looks like this first stage we're going to allow to now. So if the next step is going to allow some type of a three on three type of a game, um, we would get into that. We wouldn't call it full games, but it's more of a, of a competition type thing that would be going on the ice. Um, I don't think the OJ right now or any junior hockey that I'm hearing from is going to play modified type of hockey and call it a regular season. Not that we wouldn't look at doing um, some type of games versus teams with being modified just to get the kids back on the ice and, and, and developing their skills and whatnot. Um, but as of right now, we have no plans to go four on four or, you know, there's all kinds of different stuff that I'm hearing out there with, you know, no face-offs and uh, that type of thing. This is that we wouldn't be doing that to look at the, to do a true season. Are, are you a little concerned too, Marty? Uh, like we, I don't want to jinx the area, but we've been pretty COVID-free the last several weeks, and uh, the GTA, of course, and it makes sense. I mean, that's where the most people in Ontario live. But depending on what unfolds between now and and, and the fall and the early stages of the winter, uh, you know, it looks like some smaller communities might be ready to go a little earlier than some of the, the metro franchises. Is that something you guys have talked about? Yeah, we, we have actually. Um, if you look at the regions that we're in, um, you know, down there, I believe, you know, with the Prince Edward County um, in, in Northumberland, um, there's hardly any cases you're seeing right now. And again, knock on wood, that it stays the same. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get in the city of Toronto, there are over 12,000 now. And so um, we've had uh, asked the questions of the municipalities is that, will they allow, um, you know, residents from Toronto to come into those communities, into those facilities? And the answers we're getting right back now is they don't know. Um, how would you police it? How would you monitor it? And that type of thing. So we're waiting to hear. Um, we've discussed everything from, from hub locations to one location to two different locations to just doing divisional. Um, what I always say to our board is that what, once we know what we can do, we have four or five different plans for each one of those that we'll be able to come back and do. Um, with the main goal, again, I know it's, it's, it sounds like a broken record, but we want to get the kids back on the ice. We need them back skating, playing with the pucks, moving on their skills, get them doing that stuff because they this is if you look at you know i'm not sure the age of everybody on the call here but i I don't remember growing up myself taking more than four months off playing the game of hockey these kids could go six to seven months without playing so um, we do look at that we we follow the the the, um, numbers every day in the different regions um you know peel and toronto are the ones that we're really concerned about and as we get to the outlining communities i i I think they're going to be opening up earlier if you follow what the provincial government has done in the first going from phase one to phase two. Well, Marty, I'll just say for the, for the group here, there's no spring chicken, so you don't have to worry. (laughs) 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 We're all a bunch of old geezers, but uh, uh, I was curious. I was listening to uh, the 31 thoughts podcast. I don't know if you listened to that, but they had an epidemiologist on um, with Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick this week. And they, they posed the question like, when do you see what what how, how do you get fans back into the buildings like even in a 20,000 seat arena would you get 
when do you see it being safe or reasonable to put, say, even 5,000 fans in there? And his answer was pretty clear. And it's just one opinion, obviously, what was like, not until there's a vaccine, like the risk reward, um, which for the NHL is one thing. They got TV and all that. But for a league like the AJHL or, or OJHL, sorry, I, that would be the most of the income, I got to think, comes from tickets. So what do you see as the like, when do you think you'll be able to get some fans in or how does the league work without that gate revenue? It's a great question. So the for the first answer for it is that we, the the health reasons will allow us to know when we can bring larger groups back in. Um, we have a committee right now that we call Return to the Room Rent Committee, and, and one of the groups is looking at hot flows and work and, and workspaces. And and one of the things that when you look at putting fans and people have talked, you know, every third seat allowing someone to sit in that seat, but you still have the problem of that person getting up to to go to a wash or have to walk by the other person. So it's going to be difficult to get fans into the building. Um, speaking to our governors about moving forward, um, because we're especially a Toronto-based type league that they don't get a lot of fans to begin with, and we're, we're a play-to-play model at assisting the funding with it, where we're going to try to make a go of it out of the gate without the fans. We might be the only league that does it. Um, you know, we have 22 pretty committed clubs to want to make sure they help these kids, you know, get back to the ice. And so the, the plan right now is if we are allowed to come back and play games without fans, the OJ will move forward without that, without the fans in the building. Very interesting. Okay. Go ahead, Randy. And, and, and I'm talking to the one group where I, I still remember my first Wellington Dukes game where I went and I moved some lady's blanket and I was more scared of that than ever being a fire. <laughs> what? Line brawl. And, yeah. And, and <laughs> Yeah, you don't do that. So it's, it's you know, there's lots of fans out of that area that, that are looking, that are missing their hockey. So it's yeah. it will come back slowly. But again, I think we have to look at it this way, that we, we have 506 athletes that we're looking at, and that's what our major concern is to get them back on the ice. And it, it really is a development league. So, I, I mean, if you can make it go, that's a, that's a great thing. I, I think, yeah, like, you know, we do have a couple – we do have a couple um, – different initiatives that we're trying to work through, you know, our webcast and some other stuff that we're trying to do to get some, you know, non-traditional revenue to our clubs. But, you know, we're, we're not lying. It's going to be a struggle for especially the teams like the Dukes and them down there and the Golden Hawks and, and, and Coburg that, that do have fans and rely on that revenue. Yeah, that's the, the biggest thing for us. And, uh, you know, we kind of um, we're hoping I, I've heard different modeling, Marty, of, of where, you know, maybe saying for until there's a vaccine available, they'd allow a percentage in the rink, you know, if the capacity was two thirds or something and, and, it, and then everyone had masks on was a potential as well. Um, there was talk about minor hockey where they're going to make sure that the parents are allowed back in the rink as long as they're all wearing masks and they weren't allowed to mill about in the, in the lobbies. Is, is that been contemplated as well? Yeah, one of the models for so the Carrier Facility and Recreation Association, they put some you know, different guidelines out in the report. I was reading that it also depends on the number of exits and where you can get people in and outside of the building. Um, to be honest, I think what's going on right now is a, a lot of people are trying to gather information, starting putting plans together of what it would look like. Uh, you guys know every building is so much more different. The older buildings have limited access to get in, and the newer ones have more. Um, I, I do know that one of the things we're talking about is no no washroom facilities, um, you know, no canteens and food service or whatever. You'll go watch the game and leave. Um, so there will be a lot of restrictions around 
around that. Uh, I'm hearing, you know, you'll be allowed, you know, one third of the building full. Um, you'll have to come up with a blended plan to manage that. So one of the things that we're doing now with our committee is going to be looking at, especially the rinks that have the, the more of the fans, is, is how will that look? So because what we do know what will happen is there will be, you know, some type of bylaw officer or a facility officer that will come up and ask us for our plan. And we want to make sure that our teams have those ready to go once they flip the switch to let us come back. Gotcha. Okay. So we probably beat the hell out of this COVID discussion. Yeah. Let's talk about something a little bit more fun. <laughs> Can we talk hockey? Um, yeah. So, so what do you um, what do you think, Marty? I, I know that there's been talks of uh, potentially expansion in the league. And um, is, is that something that can you speak to that at, at all at this point? Yeah, it's something that we're looking to. There's a number of different approval processes that we still have to go through. Um, you know, we were once the 37, 38 team league when I started, and the, and the original goal was get to on the 24. So if we did move up, we might have room for a couple, two teams. But we're still in the works of kind of the logistics and the mechanics and the whole thing of that. So um, the one thing that COVID has done to us is given us some time to work and, and evaluate that. But, you know, we have to have approval from the OHF, the OHA, and, and, and our league as well. So um, it's something we are looking into, and hopefully the announcement here in the next little while to see where it's kind of direction we're going to go. Bones, go ahead. Well, that, that being that, sorry, that being said, Marty, uh, what are some of the areas in the province that you might be looking at? Well, it's an interesting question. I think we would like to go a little, little more west. We're not really in western Ontario as much as we are in the central or the east. Um, the one thing I know just from what we're looking at is we want good operators. We want to move into good facilities and good towns. We, you know, we're fortunate that the, you know we went back into two markets that we were in before that didn't really work. One being Milton, which they've done a really good job in rebranding that entire team. And then you go up the road to Collingwood. We were in there before that didn't work. And we had new ownership group in where they've turned it around to, you know, they're towards the top of the league in attendance. So we do know that wherever we go, we got to make sure there's strong ownership around it. And you look at our teams in the East and you, you know, yeah, they get fans, but they work it. Um, and so, if we could, we'd probably map it out to go west, but I think we'd be wide open to make sure we just put two strong teams in. Right. Yeah, I was curious. Um, just, uh, again, so I'm, I'm almost 50. I'm not quite 50. but So I just growing up, I knew about like Tier 2 junior hockey, um, and it was kind of when guys didn't make major junior hockey, and the odd guy would go NCAA, but, you know, it was just kind of another level if you didn't make it. But it really nowadays it's very much the feeder to a the ncaa but then there's even across canada i'm finding more and more guys are going or it seems to me going straight are getting drafted right out of the the tier two junior a league is that is that true is that really what's happening that's just my impression of what in watching and seeing and listening following hockey yeah, I think a lot of what's happened because of, of just the NCAA and the, I think it's like 30 something percent now in the National Hockey League. And, and, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but what happens is if you sign out of the, at a major junior, have two years to sign a contract where if you sign out of the NCAA, NHL teams have four years to sign it. And it, it's, you know, the development of the, of, the, of the players, they get them for a longer time to look at them before they have to enter into a contract with them. So it's a little bit more attractive for, for the NHL clubs. So what you're seeing now is after the first three rounds, they're really looking towards that junior A player um, that's going college bound or college players that are currently in their first or second year within college to be able to, you know, draft them to have the four years. 
scouts and before you you know I played back when it was a junior B league and if if you saw an NHL scout in the room you probably took a wrong turn that's why he's there but now they come to almost every one of our games um, and you see him more and more at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, the junior A loops across the country and we are annually get two three four players drafted so it has changed and a lot's just the level of play that's changed um, you know, back when there was junior B and a little bit of junior A, there's more junior A um, clubs now. And, and, and this, the athlete, there's just so many good players out there now. And I think that's why the route, when they go that way, the teams, the NHL clubs are just looking more actively for them. Yeah. So, so Marty, I, you know, you touch on, on some of that and we, you know, I think that the league has branded themselves the league of choice, which I think is always very appropriate. Um, and you know, it's interesting though, you know, the, for some of the people that are listening, they're always confused. Like we just recently traded away, a, a, you know, a guy who was pretty popular here. We brought another guy in. Um, there's and they concerned about, you know, losing guys to other leagues and and you know the view that some of the leagues inside the CGHL potentially better than our league, which you know I've always argued that you know the top teams in our league can compete at any given day, and you know obviously I'm biased as hell. Uh, we'll state that early, but this year I thought our Dukes team had a shot at being there at the final game again. And you could argue that Trenton probably was pretty close right there as well. Um, where, how do you see, you know, us as a, as CGHL, let's talk as a whole, um, creating more parity across all of the leagues. Do you see that at some point? Um, you know, it's, it's, I know it's out of your hands cause you're only part of one part of that, but um, how do you see that happening? Well, if you think you're biased, I'd probably be even more so, but I, I always say, look at the data. Um, if you look at the graduating players from junior A from the CJHL that go on to higher levels, um, the OJHL is number one in the National Hockey League, number one in Pro B and AHL, um, East Coast League and the, and the Southern Professional League. We're number one in providing talent to the CHL. We're number one in providing talent to CISU Sports. We're number one in Beth Line Talent D3. We're just number two to the to the BCHL in, in uh, supplying talent to Division One. Um, one of the things that our league did a number of years ago um, is that our governors decided that they wanted to develop Ontario-born players. Um, and so when you look like a, a league like the BCHL, 75% of their kids are non-BC kids. Half of their commits are American players. Um, our, our, our ownership groups and our teams are looking at developing that Ontario player and trying to move them on. Um, I was with the Dukes, Randy, when, when you guys were going for a national championship and you made the finals that year. Um, you know, in the last three years, we, we've won it. We've won the finals. We lost in the finals and we're the third place team. So we stack up. If you look when the, when the CJHL puts out, you know, you know, their prospects game, half the team is always in Ontario is always from, uh, the OJ. When they do the team candidates, half the team is always from the OJ. So we're there. Um, you know, some leagues are more dedicated in advancing the players than others in the CJHL. Um, but trying to make a comparison, it's so tough across the country. But I would put any one of our teams right up there against anything in the BCHL. Well, you got a full endorsement from me anyways on that. <laughs> I'll back it, uh, bud. <laughs> yeah. So, Bones, you got anything else? I don't want to keep Marty all night. He's a busy yeah, man. So. Well, I was just going to say, Marty, I, I, I really lo- uh, love to hear that. Uh, you, the league should be lauded for its uh, – for its approach uh, promoting Ontario players, it is indeed the Ontario Junior Hockey, Junior Hockey League, and and I really believe it should first and foremost promote Ontario players. So I, I think, uh, as you say, using the BCHL uh, model as an example, and it, it's a great league. But I, I like what the OJHL is doing. But 
just to backtrack just a tiny bit, uh, when this whole thing hit the fan, uh, Wellington and Trent were getting ready to square off and, you know, fans from both towns are saying, wow, it's too early. Um, and a lot of them were hoping the league might revisit, uh, the playoff format where, you know, two teams like that might not meet until the conference final. Down the road, and I know there's lots of, uh, obstacles, uh, of greater importance to clear yet, but is that something the league might reconsider? Yeah, we actually brought it forward this year to have a look at it, and we're always trying to kind of have a look at it, especially our playoff structure and the way you, you build your regular season is how you're going to qualify and play against each other for the, for, within playoffs. And it, and, and it's interesting you bring that up because we always follow all the, the you know, the playoff rounds. Um, and we saw that matchup coming up. It's one of the ones we looked on the calendar and said, this is going to be a fun one. Um, those are the matchups we want. We always call that the entertaining and the fun and important hockey. Um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because some of our top leagues, all teams, all, you know, reside at the same division. Um, so if you go back to a conference structure playoff, um, it would be kind of the one through eight with, with the top two, um, would play off from each division. You get the one, two seats. Um, right now the governor's decided to, to continue the way we are. Uh, so unfortunately for, for, you know, for Dukes and for Golden Hawk fans, you guys are going to have to beat each other up in the first, first couple rounds. <laughs> but there's hope for the future, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, it's, that's it, a decision that I don't make within the league, but we provide as much data as we can. And it's, it's right. that, do you play more divisional? So what you would see is you'd see less regular season games against the two teams if you went to a divisional matchup. So would you rather see them a lot during the season or get a chance to see them once or twice in the playoff round? Right. We, you know, maybe no real perfect answer to it. We've actually had some discussions with Trent and Marty, and we were going to petition the league to allow us to play each other 24 times. <laughs> yeah, we choose both. Regular season, yeah. season have you might have to expand your rosters by 20% just to uh, keep things healthy. Interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have anything else, but Mar, I do want to say thank you. And I um, I can't imagine what how much work and how stressful this has been because the, the role must be stressful anyways. But, you know, you normally you're just trying to figure out how we best do the finals and do all the playoffs. There's so much to do anyway. And something completely unknown like this thrown at you. I can't imagine what you're having to deal with and how much work it's been, but we do appreciate it. And, and thank you for spending some time with us tonight. No problem. Anytime guys, make sure you guys all stay safe. Thanks Marty. Thanks Marty. Okay. Take care guys. Well, that was, that was great. You know, he was very open. Um, you could see, you know, there's a lot of stuff that he's, Probably got to be careful about what he says, but um, and I, I'm sincere in that. I can't imagine all the commissioners of these leagues and all the people. Well, I mean, frontline workers, whether it be even um, like the people in government, having to make these decisions when they're really facing a lot of unknowns. They're doing their best, but you just don't really know, right? Yeah. It's it's uh, difficult. I, I well, I would have to say. From if you look at uh, Marty's job and commissioners of other junior A leagues, it's got to be. Um, I, I would say it's a bit of a dichotomy. It's probably the biggest headache you've ever had as a commissioner. But um, there's a big aspirin because you have absolutely nothing to do with what's causing you the headache. So uh, it's a crazy thing. Uh, I, I would imagine he's getting asked questions all the time and what's going to happen and. How, do you, how does the league move forward and what's the next step? But 
uh, being that we're all waiting, uh, you know, for various levels of government to announce those uh, stages, quote unquote, I guess is what they're being called. It's out of his hands, but it, it's just, a, you're right, it's just an absolute crazy time that's uh, never been experienced by uh, any of us before. So for people that are trying to run leagues and get kids back to playing sports, uh, very tough. Yeah, Marty does a good job, and, you know, sometimes, like, yep. our, our fan base and, and Trenton's fan base will give them the gears a little bit because you always oh. do that. Commissioner. Yeah, we give the commissioner crap, right? Exactly. <laughs> anybody, anybody in power is going to take take it on the chin, but um, he's he's done a good job, and and he, you yep. know he's been. I can speak for Wellington. You know, like the unfortunate thing that happened with um, us losing to Dudley Hewitt last year. Um, you know, he was he fought hard to try to get that corrected, and I'm, I'm hoping I I didn't want to throw him under the bus today and bring that up again, but um, so I you know I'm hoping that that gets corrected at some point in the near future, but yeah. He's been a strong advocate. Um, you know, the, the Wellington Dukes have been called the one of the crown jewels in the CGHL, and, and it was, you know, uh, Brett Ladds had, had coined that phrase, and I, I steal it all the time. And I think, you know, Wellington and, and Trenton together are two of the, the diamonds that, that are there on that crown. So we're, we're blessed in this area to have the quality of hockey and have the teams yeah. that are constantly trying to win. The problem I think league, I, yeah. The story to interrupt. The problem in the league is that you, with this situation, is exactly what Marty said. There's there's teams in this league that are pay to play models, and they're they're development teams where yeah. kids will pay pay to get an opportunity to go to NCAA, and they don't really care if anyone shows up to the games. And, and, and lots of times there is nobody there. Yeah, yeah, and um, that's the unfortunate, just the way the league is is operated in Toronto, and yeah. and it creates almost. Um, two different leagues and and that may end up being what happens i don't know like i can see them creating our, our conference and maybe adding a few teams from other conferences that are outside of toronto that we only play each other for for this season who knows um we'll that, see what what comes yeah. of it that's really interesting well, I Randy. Thought it was be- pretty cool that he talked about collingwood because um uh that's a great hockey town and of course it's way out of the sphere of the gta and, and they've had great attendance since they've come back into junior and hockey. Uh, they used to have the Blues, of course. And then uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I was sorry to cut you off there, Mike, but okay. I thought it was interesting that Marty's talking about moving into Western Ontario. Uh, that that would be interesting because they've got a pretty strong Golden Horseshoe League there and a pretty strong Western Ontario Junior G League. I, I think they merged to become that greater uh, Junior A, uh, not the one that uh, was uh, created a few years ago, but uh, – yeah, they've got some real strong hockey towns there. That would it would be kind of interesting if they could. Well, Brantford's a good example. They came into the OJHL, but for years they were in that strong junior B circuit out there. So I think it's interesting, and uh, I think that's a, that's a great idea for the for the league to look at uh, some of those western towns uh, that are far enough away from the GTA to have their own identity and uh, are great hockey towns and, and could emulate what's happening in the eastern part of the league particularly Colbert, Wellington, Trenton. I'm all, I'm all for that. Like I think the small town, and it's kind of funny, The I also thought about this for the women's pro league where they're, they're, they're always focused on getting them in the big city next to Toronto, but you just get lost there. But yeah, like wouldn't a pro yeah, women's a team yeah. in a small town they would yeah. that where they didn't have junior hockey, where they didn't have anything else, they would be the focus. And I kind of thought that yeah. model might work better. And it's interesting, Randy, and I wanted to ask, like, I, I listened to uh, TSN 1260 out in Edmonton because I'm an Oilers fan, 
And I listened to those guys, and they follow the AJHL very close, and they were talking about the effects from COVID, and they said, well, we may have to start thinking about going to a pay-for-play league. So do they – and it, it didn't seem like that was prevalent out there like it is here. Is that is that the case? Like out, in, out west, they – they typically aren't pay to play. It's less, yeah. Usually, um, there's like depending on the team, most of them will, they may charge like eight hundred bucks. I've heard as a number that seemed to get bantied around for the kids to play. That's just that registration kind of for their, minor hockey. <laughs> yeah, it kind of covers their their equipment and stuff. And sometimes some of the teams will insist that they they have to come up with some kind of sponsorship. But um, but generally, most of those teams, especially in the BCHL, are, are pretty much self sufficient based on fans and advertising. Um, and in each each province has really strong teams like Alberta. The Alberta Junior League has the top half of it are pretty self sufficient and would not be they'd be they'd be run like the Wellington Dukes. And um, I'm not saying that it's uh, profitable like. You know, I can speak publicly that the Dukes run a deficit and we're trying to eliminate as much of the deficit as possible um, to make it viable. Kent, you know, you're lucky you got a, an owner that, Ken Clement, who's willing to lose money. Now, you know, my job in that whole thing is to make sure that he doesn't lose his shirt, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> no so pressure. We're trying, <laughs> we're trying to find ways to create revenues for him. And I look at the cost of sticks. We've talked about this in the past. Just the cost of equipment and sticks is just, if I showed the budget, it would just blow people's minds, you know, compared to the old 50 thirties that we used when we were kids. But, um, but the, but these, this reality of junior hockey to be competitive. A lot of these, these, um, programs have to pay the, pay the nuts somehow. And they, they resort to a pay to play model. Now in, in Alberta, like you're talking about Brooks and Okotoks and yeah, Sherwood Park, those kind of teams are probably pretty independent, but there are teams like Bonneville and some other ones that may or may not. I, I'm not privy to their books, but I would say there may be some pay to play model there. The Maritime League, like it's a huge league. Like there's 134 teams across the CGHL playing in different leagues. And that includes the Northern. So that doesn't include, like Bones was talking about, the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, the GOAT, it's the Junior B League. And if you talk to anyone from the Junior B League, um, they would say that they're just as good as the OJ. And I, I think, you know, we scout that league a lot. And, and there are really good players there, like exceptional. And they, they tend to, there's rumors of them paying players to play there um, in a number of places. And, and places like Caledonia, Tal- um, Tal- um, uh, Niagara Falls, Frank Peter Angelo runs a great program there. There's some really strong franchises mm-hmm. to Bones Point. And then they have a Western division in that league now, which is the old junior B, Midwest Junior B League, the old Guelph, yeah, that's right. Stratford, Strathroy, all those guys. So that's part of that league now. You've got Listowell and Strathroy and some really good hockey towns there. So I, I'm with you guys. I, I would love to see a merger of that old junior B loop, take the best teams out of it and merge it with the OJ, make the best teams and have a proper old tier two loop. Like you remember when the bulls were part of that mm. tier two league, you know, that with the hammer really travel ways. Dicks, yeah. Dixie beehives and all this stuff. <laughs> like that was, yeah, the old that was, yeah. that was sort of like a, a, a farm system for the OHL at the time. And it was such a great league. And, um, the junior B league was still a strong league. I think it's still possible to yeah. do something like that, but there's so many, it's fractured the way it's set up with, you've got the different leagues and then you have the OHA trying to, you know, 
keep keep the boat afloat, you know, arguing amongst everything. So it's been difficult from a political standpoint as well to get all that done. I'm sure. Okay, so you, you mentioned stick budgets now, and this is a digression, but have you heard the story about Rob Ray, Quint, good, you know, Sterling boy, Quinty area, who, uh, like when the Sabres, uh-huh. they just came out with the one-piece sticks, and he, like he had always, I mean, what's Rob Ray going to use? What's it matter, right? Because he's effective when he drops it, but... <laughs> yes, the uh, he got his one and he loved it, right? Have you heard this story yeah. about him and Matt Barnaby? I have, I have, but go ahead, please go ahead. <laughs> so they're on the bus going from practice, I think, and like Rob Ray is like shooting this. He's got he, the team finally bought him a one piece stick because the only the the real snipers got them at that time, and he was loving it and he was like just so happy that he had it with him on the bus going back to after practice, and Barnaby being the guy that he is because you know it's a family show i won't say what he is very diplomatic Michael. yeah thank you so he looks at rob ray and he's kind of crazy right and he looks right at rob ray and he steps on it and breaks it on him in the bus (laughs) and rob ray being rob ray got up and beat the living crap out of him (laughs) i guess he just filled him in and barnaby told this story on spitting chicklets i guess and he's just saying oh my god he just beat and but they're like best buddies like they're they they're business partners now. It's just so. Fun. I <laughs> love that story. Some, I you know like we could dedicate a whole probably ten episodes to Rob Ray stories, um, and Rob would freely talk about them. Like I, I some of it is uh, anecdotal. I'd have to find out if it's true or not. I've heard a great story about on his way to the draft, and you know him and Ty Domi. Ty Domi, yep, I've heard that too. Other and, um, that escalated into an, an, an occurrence at a hotel room, you know, that didn't go well for either of them before the draft. So those kind of things I think would be just great to hear because Rob is such a articulate guy and, and funny yeah. as well. And the way he can tell a story, it's pretty good. Yeah, so, We had him on Scuttlepuck the one time and he just, the best are the stories about Rick Jenner. Like they're fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, we got to put that on the, Put that little note there, Randy. We'll have to see what we can do. I'm sure we could get him on. You, you oh, forget. You, you, you forget about um, you know Rob. Like Rob, Rob was a pretty decent hockey player, and, and yeah, he was a sniper you know, at one time. Yeah, yeah like he, he he did what he had to do to to get to where he was, and and being so smart and and being having the intellect that he had and coming up with ways to just keep going and he did so many smart things as young hockey players should listen to you know i you know he never priced himself out of the marketplace you know he never took that ridiculous contract that he didn't think he deserved he was always priced for what he thought he deserved pretty much and i think there's times he was underpaid for sure but but he he never priced him out so he, he was able to create longevity for himself and i remember one time skating with us in the summer you know we, we used to do our skates in madoc and sterling and and uh you know steve bancroft and Brian Marchment and all those guys. I think I remember together. an Alan Bester oh, Alan, story. Alan Bester <laughs> and all those guys. So, yeah, we would we get there. But I remember Robbie coming to that practice, and he was going through a contract negotiation then. And the one thing he mentioned was that the the one stat that his agent was bringing up to the team was that his, his fight frequency rate was the best in the league. He was fighting in less than three games. Every three games, he'd be able to have a fight. So it was like two points something. Like you imagine fighting like you're, that means you're fighting sometimes twice a week, once once to twice a week for sure. Your hands would never heal up. 
you know, like yeah. the, the pain and suffering that you put yourself through to be that it, it's, oh. it's, it's just gone from the game now. Like it, that whole yeah. role, it's it, in a way, everyone obviously misses that yeah. part, but the characters that were involved, but you forget how much Rob, you know, what he did to sacrifice yeah. for that. The, the yeah. psychological preparation too. I mean, you, he, he knew certain games going in, not only was he going to fight, he knew who he was going to fight and probably win a lot of time. There was a lot of, uh, physical and mental preparation you're right yeah it's funny you think some guys they'd always say oh i was i, I couldn't sleep because i knew i was gonna have to you know meet bob, bob program i i don't think rob really ever had problems sleeping <laughs> like i i don't i just i don't know like he is such a tactical smart guy like he he's yeah. uh he, he's an interesting cat for sure i i always enjoy talking to him because he's he is so bright yeah and um Maybe we can do a bit of a shift of gears, if you will, here. But um, I, I did want to talk to you, Randy, or ask you about. Um, so Dan Carcillo has put a, a there's a class action lawsuit filed about um, the uh, hazing that he endured back in the OHL in I forget what year. It would have been quite a while ago. Um, but you know, being as heavily involved in the OJHL as you are in the junior leagues. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, I mean, frankly, in obviously it was their declaration in the class action suit, so it's it's very one-sided and it's going, but it was, I, I know a lot of guys who play junior and I hear the stories, but there was some pretty, um, I, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but it was, it surprised me greatly. So shocking probably some, to the degree that they were accusing or alleging happened um, what were your thoughts on it? And, um, I get, where's that going? Do you think? Well, I think, for, you know, there's a lot of points to that, but I think there, there's no denying that there's a lot of things that happen in the dressing rooms and on buses back in the day. Like there was, I, I saw it. I, I experienced it. I saw stuff that would, you know, maybe out of, sometimes it's when you, when you describe an event that, is out of context sometimes it sounds more shocking than what when you're there and you see it it's kind of like that was really dumb and stupid and maybe it did put people in a bad situation but it was all it was done and you sort of i don't even i can't even explain it at the time it's just like you look back and you go god that was ridiculous right and and i think that as individuals of our age you know who went through all that stuff go through and say i don't really want that to happen in our leagues and i don't really want that hazing to happen anymore because there were hazing situations that got out of control and and some of them were silly and benign some of them weren't and some of them were need to be addressed and i think that hockey canada specifically has done a really good job of dealing with this um and you know, it was public to an extent, but behind closed doors. And I think, you know, that the whole HP one, which is the high performance coaching that we, everyone took, everyone bitched and complained that it was a money grab for the, for the hockey Canada. But when you take that course, there's a whole lot of risk mitigation that they're doing in there. Like there's a whole course on how to deal with situations, how to, uh, you know, you know, de-escalate problems, how to eliminate hazing, how to deal with things in the dressing room, um, being inclusive, you know, um, you know, talking about how 
you know, you think of how many gay hockey players there had to be over the years that were just closeted and, and the dress rooms were never really a place for a gay hockey player to come out. It was, it's those kind of issues have never really been addressed. And it's, it's, we, I think Hockey Canada has done a good job. So what bothers me, it's a long winded way to get to your answer, Mike, but <laughs> no, what bothers it. me, what bothers me about what Carcillo and these guys are doing is just shaking the trees and bringing out old ghosts. And these are ghosts that have already been dealt with. You know, these are things that it's not, I don't, I'm not saying it's not happening right now, but it's definitely not happening to the extent that maybe people would think. And, you know, it's just going to create a whole, you know, witch hunt for something that's happening in hockey now, which I think is pretty much gone. And like, I know from our own particular team, it's there's the amount that we scrutinize what's going on in the dressing room and how much, our coaches are in tune with what's going on in the dressing room because you got kids coming to us and we value, you know, the parents taking the trust in us and our billets. And we, we do our best to screen the billets. And if there's an issue with the billets, we try to deal with it. All those things, putting the kids in the best position to succeed. And I just don't think that there's like, it's, it's not productive is my whole point of this whole thing and what they're trying to do. It's yeah, just not the way to go about it. I, I'm glad you said that because my, I, I was listening to a, a show uh, on just a podcast, but it was a radio show. And they were, and I think this is the problem or the risk. I mean, Carcillo, I mean, if you've got issues and there's a class action, that, that whatever it is, that, that's the courts and you'll handle it. But there's a perception, and in this radio show for sure, that, well, this has to be stopped now. There's a perception that this is going on still. But this was definitely. Back when I know the Akima Lou situation, stuff like that, shortly thereafter, Hockey Canada and the CHL came in and put in really strict protocols. So my understanding anyway, and you would know better than me, is that a lot of these issues are just not there anymore. But there's definitely a perception that, oh, wait, this stuff Dan Carcillo is talking about happened this year. You know what I mean? Like it, it's still going on and and that's not the reality. And, and that's the whole thing. I know Bones is just biting at the bit. You know, <laughs> Get about in, things. Bones. Gonna, Come on, man. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna release them to the wolves here. But, yeah. but the, the, I just think that, like I said, yeah. it's not productive to go through it this way. Like, if you you wanted to bring it up and say this was an issue, let's let's try to convene something and re, and take a look and see if it's happening and and pull a bunch of kids that you know that are current players and see what's happening at the state. This is something that's already been addressed. It was talked yeah. about. It was dealt with. Yes. So, yeah, you have to check on it. And I think that you have to have some transparency with the players and check in with them and yeah. make sure that all the protocols are being taken care of and that they're But all the protocols are in place. Hockey can has dealt with it. The teams are dealing with it at the grassroots level. It goes right into the dress rooms of minor hockey where we've got now you've got, they call it too deep. You've always got, you know, two people in the dress room to make sure that craziness isn't going on. You still have things that happen. You know, you try to prevent it. Silly stuff's going to happen, but we're doing everything we can to make sure that it doesn't happen. And that's, you know, it just has to be monitored going forward. Setting out a class action suit, for me, I just think yeah. it's BS that Carcillo's just trying to make a name for himself or he's feeling sorry for himself for whatever reasons. And there's a lot of guys who just can't stand the shit that he's put out. Excuse my French because it's, we've got kids maybe listening, but there's a lot of guys that don't like the crap that he's putting out. 
And uh, I know he's, yeah. he lined himself with with uh, a local bunch here with Ducky Brand, and he's doing some great work with that. And I don't want to belittle that at all. Um, but I think this is just chasing ghosts. So go ahead, Bones. Fire away. Uh, well, I, I'm going to be <laughs> a lot more moderate than uh, you would expect. I, I think because you really made some terrific points, Randy, that I agree with, and Mike, you too. Uh, I think you're, you're both right. It was a different era. I think uh, most of it in the old days was harmless. There was some stuff that happened. Uh, that, and that's, that's going to happen when any group of athletes get together. Uh, it, it, when any group of people get together, if 10 guys go to a bar, uh, nine times out of 10, nothing happens. The 10th time, maybe there's somebody gets in a fight. I mean, it's just human, uh, nature. And I think, um, like a, a good example is, and I'm not going to name names, but when Carcillo first came out and, you know, took a, had his big tirade and CLHL, I was hazed and blah, blah, blah. And I got a call from a former bull who played here during that era. He was livid just livid. He, he wanted to go, he wanted me to write a call and I say, hey, you know what, let's wait 24 hours to this. The worst thing is to put gas in the fire right now because of what you guys have said. It's in the past, already happened. Uh, if he's got to be in his bonnet, that's his problem. He, in, in the meantime, he played in the OHL, uh, Carcillo that is, went on to play in the NHL. Uh, he made a decision as to how he was going to play. That's a whole different thing. Some guys accept that decision, some don't. He became a tough guy. He had some concussion issues, and that's too bad. Uh, overall, I, he played for the Flyers for a while. I'm a Philly fan, so I loved him when he was with the Flyers. But I just wish sometimes guys would, would leave the past where it is in the past when steps are being taken in a brand-new era, as you guys have said, and they are. And, uh, and then a couple of former Bulls kind of piled on, too, and, and this made the other Bull real really bad because <laughs> he always told me that, uh, you know, there was some hazing in Belleville and pretty tame, I think when you look back on it, but he said, guys were not forced to do anything. If they didn't want to, so they didn't feel any pressure. He said, a lot of people thought, well, if you don't take part, they're going to, you know, ostracize you and you're going to get cut and blah, blah, blah. He said, that was not the case. Uh, you know, fringe players, uh, I don't know. Sometimes you have to make a decision, but, Anyway, this guy was livid. He said, uh, you know, his best experience was in the OHL, including, the, you know, the he didn't really call it rookie hazing, kind of like initiation. And, uh, you know, we all went through that, Randy and, and Mike in our era at, at different levels and different teams and schools and so forth. And, yeah, I, I, it's a different uh, era right now. And that kind of thing is we're under the microscope more than we ever were. Uh, with social media and, uh, you know, helicopter parents and, and that type of thing. And I get it. So it is changing. Uh, there are positive steps being taken. And if, if there weren't, if it was still happening uh, and, and it was dangerous and, and people were getting into trouble and kids were being hurt mentally and or physically, uh, then I could understand revisiting it and, uh, you know, that type of thing. But uh, I agree. I, I think, he might have been better. Uh, he, he might have been. It might have been a better idea to say, "Hey, I like what's happening. The steps are being taken, and and hopefully, I was a part of, you know, making uh, people aware that it is a different era, and we've got to approach things differently." But I agree with you, guys. That and was I, so bad, was it? <laughs> no, it was good. That's a, that's a restrained pulse Svoboda. This uh, it was good. It's but, not what we're know, paying for. We. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, I'm going to go scream I, now. <laughs> yeah.
and I don't yelling. want to, no, I'm good. You know, and I don't <laughs> want to kidding. dilute this conversation with the whole, um, you know, the plight of some of the the players of color. Um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, how it's sort of crossed over into sport. Um, cause that's a separate conversation altogether that yep. the three of us yep. are not really qualified to speak to that. You know, I think we can ask questions and, and be empathetic, but I think we need someone with a little bit more, uh, experience in that I'm like, I mentioned on the last podcast, I'm, I'm desperately trying to get a hold of, uh, I've been conferring with him and Nate Robinson is an ex bull. And I, I want to catch up with Nate just because he's such a great guy and, and he's, he's had a great career in Germany and, and after being with the Red Wings. And he's, um, I would li- love to talk to him about some of this, the stuff that's come out and, and what his feelings are. So we're trying to get to pull that one together. And I think that's a conversation to have with him oh. as well and it, how the league has changed. That yeah. line with you know, you. know, it would be cool, too. And, and I know <laughs> Renzi and um, Dubery are yep. around. That's right? what I was just going to say. That line yeah, was just yeah. incredible. Those guys on together. <laughs> they, they were probably the best rookie line in the history of the Bulls. They were definitely the oh. best rookie line in the league that year the Bulls won the championship in 1999. I remember yeah, Louie would throw them back. out, and they would oh. just dominate the other yeah. team's fourth line. Like, just dominate yeah. them. Yeah. They weren't just that quote-unquote energy line. They could score. <laughs> they could hit. They could confound you. They were an important part of that team winning the 99 title. And I, I say to this day, might be the best, definitely the best, well, I would, Arguably the best rookie line in history of the league, and certainly with the Bulls. Oh, they were fantastic. Yeah. We talked. I remember going through that, uh, watching that whole playoff. Those three guys on together. Yeah, <laughs> you might have to make an explicit tag on that episode, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I just turn the mics on and let them go. Yeah, I don't know if putting Renzi on here might get us in trouble. <laughs> you have to remember. Beep, I, beep, I, beep. I, <laughs> I billeted, Mike. Mike, I billeted Mike Ranzi for three years, oh, too. So man. I have to, uh, I might have to have some lawyer drop some indemnification. I know a couple. Yeah. I yeah. think those guys, I think those guys all fought each other in training camp. No too. doubt. Like, uh, yeah. there, there were no holes barred. And then they ended up being not only line mates, but terrific friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's just one of those cool old hockey stories that, that doesn't happen anymore. When, and I, I, I wrote about that a while ago when, uh, when Mike Graham uh, died, uh, and that, that was so bad, uh, oh, yeah. and we've talked about Mike, and he used to referee those Bulls uh, ex Bulls training camp games. Where, as I said, and I think I wrote that. I said there were there were brief flurries of of uh, of uh, well, it was nonstop fighting interrupted by brief flurries of hockey. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what OHL training camps were like in the eighties yeah. and nineties. Uh, and uh, those guys went at each other, hammer and tong, and then ended up being great line mates. Uh, they, they were just so intuitive together and everything, and they became great friends. It's kind of a neat story. That's uh, very true. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an interesting bunch. What else, um, Mike, you had some other things on your agenda you wanted to talk about? Today? I guess yeah, we're kind of getting close here, but I was curious, um, just – well, we, we've seen the trouble with baseball and uh, the MLB, oh, yeah. and you guys would – I don't follow it super close. I'm kind of getting back into baseball, but the they were negotiating back and forth. And now the MLB has said, the commissioner, that they're going, we can't get an agreement. We're going back to whatever they agreed to in March, which I don't really understand, I'll be honest. So maybe one of you guys knows Bones. I'm counting on you here. Um, and then where, where <laughs> what, like, are they going to, are they going to play baseball? I guess is the question. Wow. 
Well, it, it's just, uh, it's absolutely not. I, I guess you got to look at it. The, the Major League Baseball players have the strongest union in all of, of pro sports by 100 miles. And the owners are making money. I mean, the TV contracts are ridiculous. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they made a great recovery after they almost killed the league with the, you know, the strike several years ago that, uh, unfortunately, I, I believe in a lot of people stopped the Expos from winning the World Series. I know. To We're going to have an all-Canadian World Series. To, yeah, we've thought, yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't get these guys. So, you know, it, it's uh, – it, and somebody said to me today, and I agree, they're setting themselves up. Uh, a strike is looming. If baseball, like other sports, ever gets back to normal in the next year or two, they're already looking at a strike down the road. So it's, it's absolutely – Ridiculous. I, I just, uh, and it, you know what? It hurt the game so badly when they uh, killed that season, you know, several years ago, and which ultimately killed the Expos. And I'm not going to beat that horse again. But uh, I think they got to be really, really careful with, with how they uh, look at the future. And again, it's, it's, you know, Rob Banfred, the commissioner, he put the olive branch down last week, flew out to Arizona to meet with the players, didn't have to. Uh, they're going to have to, you know, make a little bit of a concession too. But right now, wow, who knows? Okay, so I don't um, you know what. Yeah, do you even know what the agreement they signed in March was? <laughs> like, what? How does that work? I don't. I just don't know the details. And maybe we can, if we don't know, we can uh, research it and report back next week. Give myself some homework. Well, back in March, you mean? Yeah, because uh, isn't that what they did? They said they couldn't get an agreement now, so but they had an agreement of some sort in March, so they'll go yeah. to that. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, that, that's it's a crazy thing. I was kind of keeping an eye on that, uh, an eye on that rather when it started, and then they they went back and forth so many times, and it got so convoluted, and I just kind of lost the interest. Yeah, and that's see, that's the danger to me is fans just get like I'm not a massive baseball fan, but I enjoy watching it, and I would go to games the odd time. Love the Expos, uh, but I, I just don't think they realize the, the magnitude of what they're doing. Like they, they really did hurt baseball for many, many years uh, back then when the, when that strike and, and the lockout and all that crap happened. And it's just very frustrating to fans who see, hey, the season's already been delayed. Let's try and get something on the field. And then worry about uh, things afterward. Getting back and playing might be the best thing. Uh, people could enjoy ball. The, the owners and players can appreciate each other a little bit. Who knows? But I just don't like what's happening now. It's, it's very dangerous and, and could be very detrimental to the future of, the, of Major League Baseball. Well, you know, sports sports illustrators saying that they should just forget it. You know. Yeah, I agree. Pack yep. it in. You know, yeah, pack like, it in, and, and then fix the friggin' labor dispute and then come back real strong in the spring of 2021 well now what interesting in the nhl so they're they're negotiating phase three and four but i was shocked when i heard they were they brought in the extension for the cba is all part of the same negotiation i'm like well aren't you just how are you going to get that wrapped up in time, let alone just negotiating how you're going to return to play? But I'm hearing today that they've got like, or they're going to, they're expecting a memorandum of understanding by the first week of July that, uh, for a six year extension on the CBA, which I mean is fantastic, but I'm, I'm kind of shocked. Someone had leverage on somebody in that one. 
Now, playing-wise, I think the NHL should forget about this season and worry about uh, starting up next season. Just forget the uh, Stanley Cup tournament, put an asterisk beside it like 1919 when they tried to play a series and then, you know, had to pack it in uh, after game six, I think, or just before game six when it was Seattle and Montreal. I, I agree with Damien Cox. I think I mentioned that a while ago. Damien Cox wrote a, a great column for the Star two, three weeks ago. He said, one season's already wrecked, why wreck two? And that's the danger. You have a goofy Stanley Cup tournament with too many teams invited to begin with. You play in August. You're not going to be done till the end of September. Then you delay, depending on what, what happens with the stage openings where you are. The, the regular season for, for 2021 doesn't start till December. Like, give me a break. Yeah, uh, let's try and that. get back to some normalcy next season. People are already pretty accustomed to not seeing the NHL right now, and we're approaching summer. Forget about it, and uh, and and put all your strength and abilities into you know trying to have a, a real good twenty twenty one season. There's some interesting dynamics too with that as well, because you know you look at if if this return to play right now is going to be profitable. If they are going to make money off of it, then I can see going ahead with it just to put money in the, in the, in the war chest. Driving it, of course. I think they're cutting the losses. But if, but if it's, if it's a matter of that, this is actually going to cost them money, then I would be tanking it for sure. But the other, the other part of it, that's kind of what they, I think they have to be looking at. Cause if a dumb guy like me is thinking about this, they have to be thinking of it. You've got a league, that the NHL can survive with pay-per-view, no problem. You've got a, a development league in the American Hockey League that can't survive with pay-per-view, and the East Coast League cannot survive without pay-per-view. So they are with you know with without fans, I should say. Yeah. So yeah, so, live gate, yeah. So without a live gate for the HL and the ECHL, they're both those leagues are going to be in a lot of trouble. They're going to have to they're going to have to pony up some money to make sure that you're developing your players and and make those leagues viable or supplementing all those teams that are aligned with them. So they're going to have to fund those teams. And one of the other things that's been talked about is that so say the NHL does this back to play, then they they will force the American League to mirror their league. So then the American League's not going to be able to start. So the new season next year, if it doesn't start till say, November, December, the American League won't start until November, December because you need to have those players playing, yeah. parent, p- playing at a, at a, the same time so that they can be pulled yeah. up and pulled down. You've now got an issue where the, the ECHL may not do that. They may be playing yeah. at a separate time and starting as traditionally as they usually would. Now, what I'm hearing from friends of my son or can contacts my son is that there's a lot of American League guys that are saying they're going to start in the East Coast League. If they start earlier, they'll play there. And then when the American League kicks in, they'll move into the American League. So now you've got serious NHL you know, prospects that are being pushed down to the East Coast League. And you've got all these guys that just make a living and eco to um, survival in the East Coast League, making a few hundred bucks a week, being pushed out into beer leagues. We'll have some of the best beer league skates you'll ever have. But oh, am I going to get cut? I should yeah. be good. I bring the beer. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's my. You know, it's it's something to be thought about. Like you know, yeah, I know the guys. Oh, yeah. in the, the Spin Chicklets podcast have done a good job of raising money for the East. It's like the East Coast Hockey League Relief Fund for those guys, and like they're on a razor's edge of. of making money um so it's not easy and i 
I think just scrapping the year and keeping everything aligned makes more sense than anything. But I'll tell you what, um, if it, uh, one thing I'm looking forward to watching next season, I hope they get some kind of season, is, and Randy, you got to love this, it's a rebirth of the old Eastern Ontario Senior A Hockey League. They played last year with four teams, including one in Deserano. They've expanded over the summer. They've added three. It's a seven-team league. It's mostly um, Eastern, well, it's Ottawa region uh, heavy. Uh, Cornwall, Deserano, West Carlton, Maxville. And uh, Deserano team is full of local AAA grads and college guys and, you know, the odd former bull like Brody Morris, for example. And uh, I hope those guys get a season because that's uh, – that's, that's guys playing hockey for the love of the game. And after talking about all these, uh, different scenarios, I really, uh, I, I'm really, really glad to see some form of senior hockey in the area come back. That's awesome. Yeah, it should be fun. It should be hopefully, uh, hopefully people get out and support it. It's, uh, it's a, it's a fun brand of hockey and the guys take it, guys take it pretty serious. And there's, there's good hockey players in that league for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen. We've kind of we've pushed our our time limit, but I think yep. this was a great episode. Um, I think uh, talking to Marty was really interesting. He gave us some great information, and then it's just some good. Anytime you get talking old bulls stories, man, that's good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna do that. I think sure. we're gonna get we're gonna have Paul and get. Uh, well, we'll have a, an episode of just bull stories next week. Uh, it's gonna be be a lot of fun too. We got. Um, Brenly Shapiro, who's a sports psychologist, and she uh, works with the Arizona Coyotes, among other nice. teams. And um, looking forward to having her on next week too. So should be a fun one. Okay. Well, with that, I guess we'll wrap it up. But talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Talk Thanks, to you. gentlemen. Thanks for listening Bye. to the Total Sports Quinty podcast. You can send us an email with all your thoughts and suggestions to boqtotalsports at gmail.com. Or on Twitter and Instagram, we're at BOQ Total Sports. And if you want to check out the website, it's BOQ Total Sports Magazine.ca. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>